SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Two here on the morning after on Sports Grid. It's Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. We've been playing a lot of games here on the show recently. We're just trying to pass the time. We need football season to get here. And it's going to happen this month in college football. It's just a process. With Hard Knocks starting last night, we just continue to get into a good mood about football beginning. And we're going to play some games regarding how you can get, how you can find the edge on the FanDuel Sportsbook. It's just going to be in a more fun way. But that's coming up next. We're also going to have Daniel Wallach, a sports betting attorney, joining the show. He has the in. He has the know. He knows what's going on in all of the sports betting world. He's going to tell us who are the next states to get mobile sports wagering, in addition to how some big moves in politics in New York State yesterday really could play a factor in how mobile wagering comes to New York. First, we're going to go back to the NBA. Yesterday, we got the news that the Boston Celtics have signed their point guard, Dennis Schroeder. He agreed to a one-year deal worth $5.9 million. Now, the Celtics did lose their point guard in Campbell Walker going over to the New York Knicks this offseason. And with no point guard, you now get a guy that's averaging just over 15 points per game, just under six assists in 61 games played for the Lakers. Ben, how surprised were you to see Schroeder leave the Lakers and go over to Boston? I was surprised at the numbers because back in March of 2021, just this past March, a few months ago, the Lakers offered Dennis Schroeder a contract extension worth $85 million. Dennis Schroeder bet on himself and said, no, I can get up to closer to a max. I'm going to pass on that. And then struggled mightily down the stretch in incredibly clutch opportunities for that Lakers team when they needed somebody to help. When LeBron and AD were out late down the year, even when Anthony Davis came back and Dennis Schroeder had to be the guy, he looked like a liability out there and greatly, greatly struggled through the end of the regular season and then in the postseason. So then the Lakers didn't want him back. And he signs for the mid-level exception. So from what was hopefully close to a max contract to a mid-level exception, a one-year $5.9 million deal when the Lakers offered him 85 mil back in March. Dennis Schroeder bet on himself. And unfortunately, that bet not looking too hot right now. But hopefully he finds some success in Boston. He will be a part of that Celtics backcourt. He has Jalen Brown. He has Jason Tatum. How will he integrate with that new staff that is underway? Because, of course, Brad Stevens no longer the head coach in Boston. He is now in the front office. So you have a couple of questions about this Boston Celtics team. And Dennis Schroeder betting on himself to then lose a ton of money, what seems like about $80 million worth. That's a pretty tough pill to swallow. Now, when you look at the Celtics in the futures market, you see they are plus 2,100 to win the Eastern Conference, the fifth shortest odds on the board right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook. I am not looking to bet the Celtics even at that big price of 21 to 1. I'm staying away from Boston this year. 
That's what's so terrible because this was Boston team a couple of years ago that I said, hey, this is going to be their time. This team is going to make a run. They got Kemba Walker. If he stays healthy at point guard, then maybe this team with Jason Tatum and co could be able to win some kind of Eastern Conference championship or an NBA finals. This team has continued to go on the downward slide, especially now you lose Danny Ainge. You're going to get your replacement as your head coach as Brad Stevens is the head of basketball operations. Now you bring in Ive Udoka as your new head coach, changing systems, changing point guards we'll see how boston can maybe live up to having the fourth fifth best odds on the board to win the eastern conference now when it comes to uh yesterday in the summer league welcome to our sports grid radio audience second hour here on the morning after sirius xm channel 204 the mightier 1090 on the west coast he's ben stevens i'm ariel epstein summer league yesterday we saw two stars going head to head and it was the pistons mm. and the rockets the Pistons had their point guard, Cade Cunningham, who went off for 20 points, four rebounds, three steals. And as for the Rockets, it was Jalen Green, who had 25 points, five rebounds, and three assists. The Rockets do end up winning 111-91 in summer league play in case you care. Yet, Ben, it was really the two stars on the floor that all eyes were on. The battle of the number one and number two overall picks that were certainties to be picked at that selection. You see Cade Cunningham with 20 points, Jalen Green with 25. And Jalen Green said both before the draft, after the draft, before the game last night in Vegas, and after the game, that he felt he was the deserved number one pick. And he plays now with that chip on his shoulder. He thought he was number one, thought he was deserving to go number one overall. So this could be a budding rivalry that we see throughout the NBA, throughout the rest of these careers between both Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green. They will be tied together, and Jalen Green will use that as motivation. I'm sure Cade will as well. I think it's respect between the two players themselves, but more so that we will see these performances, hopefully, throughout the coming years in the NBA. We talk about Cade Cunningham. We talk about Jalen Green. Both were great last night, as was Luca Garza, by the way, because when you look at what he did, 15 points last night for the Pistons, three rebounds. Luca Garza, of course, the National Player of the Year in college basketball this past year, number one in my heart. Looks like he is well-equipped for the NBA game. He's showing off the mid-range, the downtown shooting, all that he can add to an NBA offense. Luca Garza will be around for a long time. Of course, I had to shout out Luca Garza. Ariel couldn't talk summer league with the Detroit Pistons and not have me give a shout-out to Luca Garza of the Iowa Hawkeyes. I can't even see his name on the list. I thought maybe I'd find Luca Garza all the way down there, but I don't see his name. I was going to ask you if you wanted to put a dollar on him to win Rookie of the Year, but not listed there are the two players that are listed and it's kate cunningham shortest odds on the board plus 195 to win rookie of the year jalen green at three to one they're going neck and neck we always talk about these same drafts we even just did it lebron james carmelo anthony we just compared these two a week ago when carmelo decided to go over to the lakers we're going to be talking about these two for a long time. But coming up next, we're switching over to the NFL. We're going to play a fun game talking about which quarterback's going to have a better year. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're 
back on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. In the NFL, you can go and bet on certain things. And to get the edge, you should go to our social media pages, especially all over Twitter. We have two different accounts, Sports Grid and Sports Grid TV. Make sure to give us a follow. Go and get the edge. We are there 24-7 posting content. Now, there are these markets that you can go and find on FanDuel, and sometimes it takes some time to go and look through the whole menu. It's our job to do it here. And you're able to go and bet on which quarterback's going to have the most passing touchdowns. You can go and bet on any of these quarterbacks to finish the year with the most, but we're going to put it into a game. We're going to go and put these players head-to-head. The first two quarterbacks Mm. we're going to put head-to-head, Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. Mahomes is plus uh, plus 340, which is the shortest odds to have the most touchdowns thrown this year. And Tom Brady has the second shortest odds, plus 420, to throw the most touchdowns. So if you have to put these two head-to-head, Ben, which quarterback is going to throw more touchdowns this year, Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady? Ariel, we are matchmakers, match bet makers for the FanDuel Sportsbook, putting these quarterbacks up head to head. And we might do this for a whole variety of props. So now when we focus on this first one, the two shortest odds on the board, the two favorites, Patrick Mahomes, the favorite at plus 340, Tom Brady at plus 420. Let's look back at this past season. Brady ranked second in all the league with 50 passing touchdowns. Only Aaron Rodgers, who had 53 and was the NFL MVP, had more than TB12. When you look at what Patrick Mahomes did last year, tied for third overall with 42 passing TDs. That was the second most in Patrick Mahomes' career. When you are, excuse me, that was the second most in Tom Brady's career, also the second most in Patrick Mahomes' career. But let's first go to TB12. The second most in his career last year, 50. The most he's ever had, 56, back in 2007. But when you look at his final five years in New England, Tom Brady averaged about 33.8 passing touchdowns per year. When you look at what Patrick Mahomes has done over his career, 42 last season, 53 in his first year as a starter in 2018, he won the MVP, and 36 in 2019. When you look at the amount of games that he has done that in, 18 in 2018, 17 in 2019, and then 18 last year in 2020, don't forget this is a regular season award. This is what we are talking about, a regular season prop bet. We will play 17 games this regular season. Both of these guys have stayed pretty healthy throughout their careers. Tom Brady, a much longer career at this point than Patrick well, now, Mahomes. Now but if you, you did bake- it. Now you did what? it. What? You said what? that they are, they've stayed pretty healthy in their career. Oh, yeah. Not, great. yeah. knock on wood. Obviously, we always knock uh-huh. on wood. You All know right. how that goes. But Just making sure. I think when you compare these two, the guy with the most ability and I think the most consistency to have the more passing touchdowns who plays for a more prolific offense, in my opinion, is Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs. That's why he is the favorite. So I would give him the edge in this matchup because despite Brady having 50 in his first year in Tampa Bay, I'm not sure that level of getting to 50 is sustainable for Tom, who was not even sniffing like 35 through most of his final years in New England. I'd just like to play devil's advocate here. For Tom Brady in New England, he didn't really have a lethal wide receiver for the last few years that he was in New England, hence his departure. Mm -hmm. Now you move into this year where for the Chiefs, maybe they improved the run game more with Clyde Edwards-Elair being in his second season, not as injured potentially. The Bucks scare me because from a running game perspective, they really didn't get too much going. They didn't have much consistency out of the backfield. It was a lot of pass-heavy offense. Whereas for the Chiefs, even though they do have some crazy wide receivers and tight ends, 
the run game may be a little more established this year. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I mean, it might be, but I still think when you look at the Chiefs offense overall, they are going to be throwing the football all across the yard is what they do. Patrick Mahomes thrives in Andy Reid's system. Eric Bieniemy is still there as well for some unforeseen reason that he's not a head coach in the NFL so far. But I think when you look at that offensive scheme, you have Travis Kel- Kelsey, you have McCole Hardman maybe taking a step as well, of course, Tyreek Hill. So I still think Patrick Mahomes is very liable to go over 40 passing touchdowns. I think his cap, his ceiling, is maybe a little bit higher than Tom Brady's. I understand that Tom Brady had 50 last year in his first year with Tampa Bay but Tom now is 44 I know father time has not caught up to him yet I don't think it will this year I still expect the Bucks to be very good and to have a high scoring offense but is he going to get near 50 again no I probably lean with Patrick Mahomes to win this match bet that we have made for the most passing touchdowns I see it I see it he is the most consistent out of the two when it comes to these passing touchdowns Patrick Mahomes we spoke about the top two now the three and the four the third shortest odds Russell Wilson at seven to one the fourth shortest odds Aaron Rodgers plus 850 to throw the most touchdowns this year in the NFL we're putting Wilson and Rodgers head to head which of these two quarterbacks is going to have more passing touchdowns this year Ben well this is also a model of consistency versus a top end And now Aaron Rodgers, when he is scorned, when he is upset, tends to play to the top end of his career. And last year, of course, Aaron Rodgers led the NFL with the most passing touchdowns at 53. It's why he won the MVP. He also averaged nearly three passing touchdowns per game last year, of course, also tops in the NFL. But he had 53 last year in 18 games. But when you go back to 2019, also in 18 games, only had 30. In 2018, in a lesser amount of games because he battled some injuries, only playing 16, he only had 25. So a drastic drop-off over the past two seasons. 53 last year, but only 30 in 19, only 25 passing touchdowns in 2018. Last year, Russ was tied with Patrick Mahomes for third most in the NFL with 42 passing touchdowns at nearly two and a half passing touchdowns per game. Russell Wilson also stays healthy for the most part, again, knock on wood, throughout the majority of his career. And when you look at that, he has had played at least 16 games in every year of his NFL career, that is nine seasons, at the helm of that Seattle Seahawks offense. The lowest that Russell Wilson has thrown, the lowest amount of passing touchdowns he has thrown in the past six years was 25 back in 2016. But in the five other years, 42 33, 36, 34, and 38. That is an average of 36.6 passing touchdowns in five of the past six seasons for Russell Wilson. So again, when we talk about consistency, I think I give the edge here to Russell Wilson. Now, Aaron Rodgers has that top-end capability that I don't really think anybody in the NFL outside of Patrick Mahomes can compete with. But what is the offense? What are the vibes going to be like around Aaron Rodgers with the Green Bay Packers this year? Because unless he is playing at an MVP level, I think I give the edge to Russell Wilson. Yeah, especially because there's absolutely no hope for the running back room in Seattle to stay healthy. I mean, has it been 10 years already that this team can't stay healthy in the backfield? I'm just exaggerating. Yet, Wilson, more consistency. Last one, and this time you can't choose a favorite because it's Burrow and Murray, and they're both at 38-1 to on FanDuel to throw the most touchdowns this year. Burrow, 13 touchdowns in 10 games last year, and Kyler Murray, 20 and 26 for his first two years in the NFL. Which of these quarterbacks, Ben, is going to have more passing touchdowns, Joe Burrow or Kyler Murray? 
I think it's very interesting that both of these guys have the same number. I understand the hype around Joe Burrow, and he was off to a fantastic start in his rookie season last year for the Bengals. But Kyler Murray is also very good. And Kyler Murray is at the helm of one of the highest scoring offenses, we assume, this year in the NFL playing for the Cardinals. I mean, first look at the team win totals here and relative success. The Cardinals team win totals eight. The over is juiced at minus 130. The Bengals team win totals six and a half. The under is juiced at minus 120. Now, success on the field doesn't necessarily just simply correlate to most passing touchdowns. But again, Arizona 14th in scoring offense last year, top half of the league. The Bengals fourth worst in scoring offense. Kyler Murray had 26 passing touchdowns. Joe Burrow only 13 last year, obviously in a less amount of games because of that injury. But Kyler still more per game at 1.62. Joe Burrow 1.3 in the 10 games that he played last year. So I think it's interesting both have the same number. I think the edge here would certainly be Kyler Murray in this match bet we have made up. I agree with you. Also, Kyler Murray has one of the best wide receivers in football in DeAndre Hopkins on his team. Then you have Joe Burrow, who is just relying on a bunch of young receivers, even lost his veteran A.J. Green in the offseason. I'm going with Murray as well. I don't know why these odds are booked with the two of them at the same number, 38-1 to to throw the most touchdowns this year in the NFL regular season. A new game coming up next. We're going to talk college football. We're going to talk win totals. That's where you really can find the edge on the FanDuel Sportsbook. You're listening here on SiriusXM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Network. We've got you covered until noon Eastern time. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. We're going to talk some win totals in college football, yet we're going to put a spin on it. Instead of going and betting against certain teams, we're going to try to combine the two worst teams or two of the lesser teams in the Big Ten and see if the combined win total of two bad teams can equal to or be over what the best team in the conference is. So here's the example. Ohio State, their win total is sitting at 11 wins on FanDuel. Michigan State is at 4.5 and Maryland's at 5.5. Let's combine Michigan State and Maryland's win totals so you get around a win, to lo- a win total of 10. And Ohio State is sitting there at 11 wins. Then, who would you still bet on to have more wins this year? Ohio State with the over 11 or Michigan State and Maryland with about 10? Matchmakers in all arts, in all forms of football, both the NFL and in college. This is a match bet for team win totals, having some fun and combining all of that. So first, Ariel, let's examine the juice. Ohio State at 11 is the highest team win total in all the Big Ten, certainly then in the Big Ten East Division. All three of these teams coming from that East Division within the Big Ten Conference. Now, the under is juiced for Ohio State at 11 at minus 120. Both Michigan State and Maryland, the over of their team win totals are juiced. Michigan State minus 120 to the over of four and a half, minus 145 for Maryland to the over of that team win total of five and a half. Now, in the two years since Ryan 
Ryan Day took over the program in Columbus, Ohio, the Buckeyes have yet to lose a regular season game. Last year was obviously a much shorter season, but they have been dominant in the regular season. Could this be the year with a new starting quarterback and some questions to answer in the secondary that Ohio State first loses a regular season game under Ryan Day? If you were to make Ohio State's team win total at 10.5, everybody and their mother, for the most part, would take the over. That's why it's at 11, and that's why the under has to be juiced. Because to win and go unbeaten and win 12 games in a regular season in college football is a very difficult thing to do. So now we examine the Buckeyes' schedule. When you look at what they have, they have a tough non-conference test against Oregon. Of course, they play in the Big Ten East, so they have Indiana, Penn State, which is in Columbus. They go on the road for the rivalry game, the game at Michigan to end the year. And then, of course, it's always tough in the Big Ten Conference. So you would maybe think that Ohio State, even if they go 11-1 and would still be in CFP contention, that's probably their bottom. I don't see this Ohio State team losing two games this year, Ariel. So I'm going to say they push at the 11 but for our total purposes now we look to maryland and michigan state maryland has a great number at five and a half and i lean the over but i think the bottom for maryland is five i don't think the terps win less than five games this year in fact i think they win six and i am a big oh. believer in michigan state okay, how much of that I'm is because team... of our boss greg sussman come on come oh, on none of great greg, greg sussman area loves maryland basketball he loves Maryland basketball. He's more concerned about Mark Turgeon and Kudis Wahab and Fats Russell than he is about Talia Tungavailoa and that offense under Mike Loxley for the Maryland Terrapins. I don't even know if he's listening right now to understand that we're talking Maryland football. So it's not to just flatter our boss, Greg. Their claim to fame is that Tua's brother is their quarterback. It's fantastic. I absolutely love fading Maryland because... They rejected me from college. I'm going to oh, say fair. Ohio State gets more than Michigan State and Maryland also. I don't see either of these teams being that good this year in Ohio State. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's hard to go undefeated. This team only had one loss last year. The question is, who do they lose to? Is it going to be the last week of the season against Michigan? Is it going to be against no. Penn State? Penn State doesn't play no. well in in uh, in Ohio. So where where's the loss? It might cut. I don't see. I don't know. I think it would be a game you don't expect it's them to be lose. A weird one, the like games Rutgers. between, right? Well, not Rutgers. The games between Ohio They're State and Rutgers, Penn State have been yeah, competitive. Well, I, Minnesota, yeah, but I mean, in Minnesota the, on the road. No, to to start the year, no. Maybe Oregon. I don't think that happens. Week number two. I mean, I think the tough test for Ohio State on the road in Bloomington against Indiana. Maybe some of the crossover games with the Big Ten West. I don't really see it, but it's hard to go unbeaten and win 12 straight games in a regular season with all the attrition of a college football year. And everybody expects Ohio State's roster to just reload every year. But when you're breaking in a new quarterback, even behind one of the best offensive lines in the country, the best wide receiving group in the country, it's going to be a little bit difficult to win 12 games. So even at 11, though, but here's where we disagree, Ariel. I actually think the combination of Maryland and Michigan State win more games than Ohio State because I think Maryland and Michigan State can win 12 games combined and mainly it's the Spartans. Now their team win total is four and a half and I may sound crazy here 
because the schedule is not necessarily easy for Sparty. But I'm a lot higher on MSU than a lot of other people around the Big Ten and across college football. The roster is so much more talented this year than it was last year. They hit the transfer portal in a big way. Their quarterback, Anthony Russo, their running back in Kenneth Walker the third, coming from Wake Forest. I think this Michigan State team is more than likely to go over their team win total, and I think they can get to six wins. So if I think both Maryland and Michigan State win six games, then they surpass Ohio State's 11 wins, in my mind, if you take that conservative approach. So I think the combination of the Terps and the Spartans wins more games than the Buckeyes. Moving away from the Big Ten East, let's go to the Big Ten West. Wisconsin has nine and a half for their win total. Purdue is five, Illinois at three and a half. If you combine mm. Purdue and Illinois' win totals from five and three and a half, and you've got Wisconsin at nine and a half, Ben, who's going to have more wins? The combo of Purdue and Illinois or Wisconsin alone? So the Badgers the most in the Big Ten West. And then you have the bottom two with Purdue and Illinois. Illinois the least in all the Big Ten Conference at three and a half. Again, we must start Ariel, as you know we do with every team win total by examining the juice. The over for Wisconsin is minus 120. All these teams have over with the amount of juice. Purdue, it's minus 120 to the over of the five. For Illinois, it's minus 130 to the over of three and a half. For Wisconsin, the first four games will decide their total amount. It is a very tough first stretch for the Badgers. But all of these games coming at home or a neutral site in Chicago. So the opening game of the year for Wisconsin is Penn State in Camp Randall. Then it's Eastern Michigan, which you assume is a win. Then it's Notre Dame at Soldier Field in Chicago, and then it's Michigan at home. Mark my words, if Wisconsin goes 3-1, and one, or dare I say unbeaten, a perfect 4-0 throughout that stretch, the Badgers are going to win at least 10 games, if not 11, maybe even 12, because everything oh. sets up very favorably for this Wisconsin team. Their toughest tests come at home this year. They have Iowa at home, Northwestern at home, Nebraska at home. Maybe their hardest road game in Big Ten play is on the road. Well, that's the Soldier Field game. That's the neutral game. So still, I think you're going to see a lot of Wisconsin and Notre Dame fans. It's going to be a real 50-50 split there in Chicago where the Bears play their home games. Maybe their toughest road test is on the road at Minnesota. But Ariel, I really think this Wisconsin team is going to go over their team win total at 10. It's one of my favorite overs of a team win total in the Big Ten. And then I think they can win 11 or 12 games. So when you compare that to Purdue and Illinois, I think, again, this is a perfect number for Purdue. I don't think they win more than six if they even get to the over of the five. Illinois, although it's only three and a half, let's look at their schedule. Two of their non-conference games should be a win for the Illini, UTSA and Charlotte. But their crossovers are relatively easy with the Big Ten East. They have both Rutgers and Maryland. They then go on the road to Penn State. That's going to be a loss. But I don't think Illinois goes much more than four. I wouldn't be surprised if they go to the under in their first year of a rebuilding regime now under Brett Bielema. So if I think Purdue gets five, at most Illinois gets four, and then Wisconsin might win 10 or 11, I think Wisconsin beats the combination of Purdue and Illinois when it comes to team win totals. Looking at the last, looking at last season where you've got Wisconsin, it was four and three straight up, Purdue two and four straight up, Illinois two and six straight up. What is it about this Wisconsin team after going four and three last year that's going to be more improved? 
So, Ariel, Wisconsin was the first team in the Big Ten to be hit by COVID and to be on a COVID pause. They had to take two weeks off. They were breaking in a new young quarterback in Graham Mertz, who was outstanding in that season opener against Illinois and never truly recovered throughout the rest of the year. But Wisconsin is a staple of consistency within the Big Ten Conference. So I think Graham Mertz will be good this year in his redshirt sophomore year. He is also joined by Jalen Berger in the backfield, who will be one of the best running backs in the Big Ten Conference. Wisconsin's offensive line is going to be great. They return so much talent defensively. Their wide receiver cores with Kendrick Pryor is going to be very, very good this year. So, And they have Jake Ferguson, who is the grandson of former Wisconsin Athletic Director Barry Alvarez, who Barry Alvarez is now the grandfather of Jake Ferguson. That's a joke we make in Big Ten circles. Anyway, I think Wisconsin is going to be very good this year. It was a weird disjointed 2020 for the Badgers. This year they are going to be consistent, and I think the schedule sets up so well for them. This is a 10 or 11 win Wisconsin team, and I think the Badgers will win the Big Ten West. This is a team that just a couple of years ago was in contention for that Big Ten title in Wisconsin. They've got the recruiting. Now can we just keep COVID out of the picture? And you're right. I mean, I'm looking at this schedule now. Notre Dame may be tough, and then Iowa, but you've got on the road at Rutgers, on the road at Minnesota, and a lot of their home games being the games against Michigan, Penn State. Iowa. So we'll be able to see if home field advantage does play the factor. Then we are going to have fans back in the stands. How much are you going to take that into consideration for your handicap? At places like Camp Randall and Madison, Wisconsin, certainly so. They expect to be at 100% jump capacity around. as we get there. I mean, jump around is a truly like an earthquake every third into fourth quarter every weekend in Madison, Wisconsin. When you look at Ohio State at the Horseshoe, when you look at the Big House in Michigan, of course, when you think of Happy Valley and Beaver Stadium and the whiteouts that they have there, this is going to be a huge factor once again in the Big Ten Conference. So it will be a part of my handicap, and that's why when you look at Wisconsin, having those toughest tests at home in Camp Randall, I think that's why Wisconsin very likely to go over their team win total of nine and a half. Coming up next, we are going to talk more about the business side of sports betting and really the legal side of it. There's an expansion going on, and I can't wait to hear from Daniel Wallach, the sports betting attorney himself, coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. We welcome in sports betting attorney Daniel Wallach now, who's going to help us break down how the sports betting world continues to expand. Getting word this morning, Daniel, Ryan Butler is saying that from earlier this morning, the Florida Seminole Gaming and Sports Betting Compact was published in the Federal Registrar, the official final step for federal approval. Craps Roulette and retail sports books at tribal casinos are coming this fall. Lawsuits await everything else. What does this tweet, what does this report mean, Daniel, for Florida and sports betting? Well, we're only uh, halfway there. The federal agency, uh, known as the Department of the Interior, has approved or at least allowed the compact 
to be approved by operation of law, which means that the agency did not formally approve it or did not formally reject it. And by doing nothing, uh, it allowed the compact to become legal, at least uh, through the administrative agency. But lawsuits await. And two uh, Florida uh, racetracks or, or a Florida racetrack and a Florida poker room have filed a federal court lawsuit in early July seeking to block the rollout of the online sports betting part of the compact. And their argument is that the federal law, which governs the conduct of Indian gaming, uh, only allows compacts to include gambling activities that take place on Indian lands and nowhere else. And their position is that internet-based sports wagering is outside the boundaries of Indian land and therefore is not permissible under the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. And their motivation for suing is that they're competitors of the Seminole Tribe. And under the compact, the Seminole Tribe have exclusivity to statewide retail sports betting and online sports betting. And the paramutuals simply do not want to be under the thumb of the tribe and want to be able to operate online sports betting without tribal oversight and without having an agreement in place with the tribe in which there would be a 60-40 revenue split. Daniel, online sports betting is getting very close here also in New York State. And earlier this week, the bidding groups for that bidding war here in New York State were released. I think when the casual layperson looks at these groups and you see partners like FanDuel and Bally's and DraftKings all being a part of one group itself making a bid for that online sports betting, how will that shake out when all is said and done? Well, this is a super bid. You have a competitive bidding process in which the New York State Gaming Commission is charged with, with selecting as few as two platform providers and as few as four customer-facing online websites. So these companies are putting their best foot forward and forming these consortiums to get the attention of the State Gaming Commission. And on the FanDuel DraftKings bid, you have the three largest online sports betting operators in the United States. FanDuel, DraftKings, and BetMGM, and they're joining forces with the Buffalo Sabres, the Buffalo Bills, and the New York Yankees. And this is a customer acquisition play by having the uh, the, the, the the biggest operators along with the with with the sports franchises within New York. This has the capacity to bring the largest customer base uh, to the online sports betting environment. And I think I, I think the New York State Gaming Commission would be poised to select a bid that had that kind of upwards potential in terms of bringing customers into the fold. FanDuel and DraftKings already operate daily fantasy sports in New York, so they have a sizable uh, database of their own customers. And then from New Jersey, they are already the two largest operators for online sports betting in New Jersey. At least 20% of the online customer base for New Jersey sports betting comes from the lower half of New York. So FanDuel and DraftKings have the ability through their own user base to create a supersized online sports betting environment, certainly a, a much greater potential than some of the other co uh, companies that do not have the alignment with the pro sports franchises. Daniel Wallach, sports betting attorney, joining us now. I don't usually like to get into politics on the show. However, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, is resigning in the next couple of weeks. How much of an impact is that going to have on getting mobile sports wagering up and running in New York State, Daniel? It will have little to no impact at all because while he is resigning, 
after giving his two weeks notice, the agency that will be making the decision as to what platform providers will be selected, that agency remains intact. The New York State Gaming Commissioner has a, an executive body, it has staff, it has commissioners, uh, they are fully staffed and regardless of who the governor is, the New York State Gaming Commission is already reviewing the applications. All of those bids were submitted on Monday and a decision has to be made under New York State law within 150 days. That process is already underway and I don't believe that the um, identity of the governor will have any sway or have any impact on either the decision or the timing of the decision. Of course, the political winds changing as they might, uh, you could potentially um, you know, have you know, maybe new, new appointed members of the New York State Gaming Commission. Maybe this governor has, a, th maybe this new governor has a different view as to what works best for online sports betting, but she has so many more important priorities when she takes office in two weeks, that I don't suspect that online sports betting is gonna be anywhere near the top of her agenda. And she's gotta be very careful from an optics perspective because her husband uh, is the general counsel for a casino operator outside of oh. New York. He works for, he's the executive vice president and general counsel for Delaware North, which operates seven gaming establishments, including one in New York State. And that company has lobbied uh, the New York legislature to the tune of $800,000 since, since 2019, according to a Daily Beast investigative report from yesterday. So from an optics perspective, it's probably best that the incoming governor remain on the sidelines and not do anything to alter the status quo, lest her objectivity be questioned. Daniel, you mentioned that dream team bid that for New York State includes teams like the Yankees and the Sabres and the Buffalo Bills. And we have seen it all across the sports landscape over the past couple of years. Sports books opening up outside or inside stadiums to really control that fan experience. Even after online sports betting becomes legal here in New York State, what does the process look like for maybe getting sports books inside stadiums here? Well, the New York law doesn't expressly prohibit it. Under the state constitution, the gambling has to take place at the casinos, but mobile wagering is done through servers located within the casino. So hypothetically, you could have uh, mobile betting kiosks at Yankee Stadium at it, and at all the other professional sports venues within New York State without running afoul of the New York statute or the New York constitution, because all of this operates under the premise that the wagers themselves are going to be deemed received and accepted by the server located at the casino. So if you can make a mobile bet from your telephone uh, while in Long Island or in the Bronx, you could very easily make a, a kiosk wager at Yankee Stadium, at Madison Square Garden, and those, those bets are going to be transmitted to casino-located servers located in upstate New York. So the prospect for having a sports book style environment at the pro sports venues is certainly possible uh, under the existing law. And I think this bid that includes the two Buffalo teams and the New York Yankees, I think that hints at the possibility of a stadium or arena focused, uh, you know, betting kiosk sports book. 
Daniel, what I've been hearing, too, is a lot of these teams are just looking for sponsorships, partnerships, just to have some kind of branding within the stadium of these sports books. Yet you do see there are teams like New Orleans, there's teams out in Arizona that are starting to name stadiums or have their sports books inside of these stadiums. What's the difference between just a partnership of name brand recognition versus actually doing business with these sports books when it comes to placing bets? Well, there's a, a quantum leap when you go from uh, commercial sponsorships to having a stake in the betting activity itself. What these teams are looking for long term down the road, I can't speak for the Yankees, Sabres or Bills, but in a number of other states like um, Arizona and Maryland, um, D.C., which is not a state, Illinois, uh, the pro sports franchises have the opportunity to operate the in-stadium sports book and to have a, a, an online sports betting license. The Washington football team also has that capability in Virginia. So the sponsorship opportunities would exist with or without these teams being part of the bid. Uh, they could always accept naming rights or have an official sports betting partner. I think the Jets and the Giants. I don't know about the Giants, but the Jets and Madison Square Garden, they have their official sports betting partners. This is a step forward to being a direct participant in the business uh, through either an affiliate relationship uh, in which there will be the, uh, the database of Yankees, Sabres, and Bill, Bills fans being marketed by companies like DraftKings, FanDuel, and MGM. But I think down the road, these companies would like the ability to have something on premises, on venue, with the opportunity to share directly in the proceeds associated with mobile sports betting. That's where most of the money lies. 80 to 90% of the wagers that are made in states that have both in-person and online sports books are made through mobile devices. And, and, and I think what the Yankees and these other teams can offer is the opportunity to geofence their ballparks to allow only one website or only one brand to be able to market or offer online sports betting to patrons that attend the game. The possibilities are endless. This goes way beyond just advertising and sponsorship. This is an integration of gambling and professional sports at the venues and with team and ownership participation to, you know, to some significant extent. Daniel, our great friends and partners here at SportsGrid and for the morning after, of course, are the FanDuel Sportsbook. They have announced on an earnings call that they expect to be live in 19 states by 2023. What does that expansion process look like for FanDuel and other sportsbooks across this country? Well, listen, in every state that legalizes online sports betting, FanDuel is going to be one of the, one of the leading market participants in all of those states, either because they can apply for licenses directly without having any commercial partnerships, or because the land-based gaming stakeholders in those states want to have partnerships with companies like FanDuel because of their sizable uh, user base and database. So, so the, the, the expansion of sports betting nationwide, and it's about to come to several of the largest states, we haven't even touched upon California, which is two years away, Texas, which is two years away. Florida could be coming up as early as October 15th, and New York as early as the Super Bowl next year, Georgia as well. So five of the eight largest states in terms of population size, and then, of course, Massachusetts is also a significant uh, jurisdiction for purposes of sports betting and, and sports enthusiasm. We, we barely scratched the surface for the potential of online sports betting. And as these states begin to accept 
uh, or pass laws authorizing online sports betting, you can rest assured that uh, FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, Caesars, all of those companies are going to be part of that conversation and they are going to be market leaders in each of those states. And, we, you know, I think the ability to have online sports betting hasn't even reached half the population of the United States yet. We're still at the at the onset of the expansion of online sports betting. Ohio is another state which hasn't yet come into legalization. Arizona will launch in September. So we barely, barely started uh, you know, the ascent of online sports betting in the United States. The legalization has, has not yet led to the implementation in a number of significant states, and New York is one example of that, we do as, as is Florida. To break, Daniel. However, your insight is always incredible, and thank you for coming on with us. We'll have you on again soon. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Here on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. We close out hour number two with Guess the Line. We just had sports betting attorney Daniel Wallach on to talk about the future of sports betting. My question to Ben, guess the line, New York gets mobile sports wagering by the Super Bowl. Yes, no. What's the line? I say yes, it happens. So make the yes a minus money favorite. Put them at like minus 115. It's not a huge long number by any means. But I do believe that by the time we get to the Super Bowl, New York State will have legal mobile sports betting. And I, Ariel, would absolutely love that, to be able to cash in on some bets prior to the Super Bowl, at least to the end of the football season. That would be incredible. By the way, speaking of incredible, the information that we just digested from Daniel Wallach, a sports betting attorney who came on and just laid everything out in crystal clear fashion, that was awesome. I just learned so much from him in the past 13, 14 minutes. I hope everybody else out there did. I'm still trying to take it all in. But in terms of guess the line, I would say yes, New York State does have mobile sports wagering by the time we get to the Super Bowl. I find it in very interesting that the new governor of New York State, her husband works in casinos and gaming, which I did not know. A lot of people on Twitter were thinking something along the lines of delay. How does this impact sports wagering in New York? Because you're going to have a governor switch. Does it matter? According to Daniel Wallach, no, it doesn't matter. It's all been approved. It was signed off by Cuomo. And now we move into the next phase of just getting this underway. Ben says it's going to happen by the Super Bowl. I think it's going to happen by the Super Bowl. Fingers crossed. The best news of it all is that it's not going to just be one or two skins. Sorry, Fandle, but it's it's true. It's good that we have some competition in the sports books and you can go place your bets in a lot of different places, hopefully in the next few months. Coming up next, we have hour three of our show. Tune into sportsgrid.com. MSG, we have to sign off, but find out which streaming service works best for you.
We're also on Sirius XM Channel 204 and the Mightier 1090 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein.